0: Hey everyone and welcome back to Pixels, a show where we cover the news from the gaming world, the gaming industry, and a bunch of stuff to talk about today. So a pretty fun show we're going to have, I think. We're going to be talking about... The PlayStation State of Play and The Last of Us Part Two. are going to be talking about Oculus Connect 6 with big news for the VR world and the Oculus Quest headset specifically. Also a bunch of games I've been trying, like Untitled Goose Game and Destiny 2's Shadowkeep expansion. A bunch of other little tidbits of news. And uh, this is going to be a solo show. Um, I mentioned a while back, I wouldn't... um, hesitate doing solo shows a little bit more uh, but and uh, so that is another example of that I hope you enjoy it still but uh, it's not like you know non-solo shows are going away but it's a little bit easier for me to do it like that in a time when there's a lot to um, worry about and take care of in my life uh, both professionally and Um, personally. So hopefully that will still be fun for you. I certainly will do all I can so that it is. My name is Patrick Beja and let's get started with uh, PlayStation State of Play which is the I guess everyone knows by now the Sony Nintendo Direct type communication outlet. Uh, They release a video about 20 minutes and that was uh, 10 days ago or so. A bunch of small announcements. I'm not going to go over all or any of them. Really, none of them are incredibly compelling. Um, A couple of oddities here and there. But uh, the main uh, dish dish at the show was, of course, the Last of Us Part 2 date reveal, which is February 21st, 2020. The period of the year had been leaked. Uh, a while back, that is what we expected. But I think it also would not have been very surprising to see it delayed a little bit to March or um, March or April. I think last episode with Ed, we speculated that it would be released around that time frame. Someone on Twitter told me that I had uh, guessed the twentieth. So if I I don't remember that at all, but if I did. Almost, almost. That's not bad. But uh, of course, February 21st, relatively soon, and I think a lot of people are very excited. Um, But at the same time, there are a lot of questions about the game. How much it changes from the original Last of Us? Apparently not much. Some people got flown to LA to uh, get a hands-on on a couple of missions of the game, and it feels like The Last of Us, which I think is something to be expected it is um extremely good looking people compared it to um the 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 cowboy simulator uh red dead redemption 2 in in terms of graphics which is high praise and it's not very surprising of course uh, naughty dog being one of the premier developers for the PlayStation stable uh, and having pushed the capabilities of the console before um, we would expect that game to be at least as good looking as the goodest looking (laughs) as the best looking game uh, on the, on the platform. So that's uh, good, but, but expected. And uh, the thing with the last of us is that the main draw of the game is the narrative journey that it takes you on and of course that's difficult to experience over two missions so we're gonna have to wait and see what happens when the game actually releases but I guess there's also a potential pitfall there for Naughty Dog because the um, original game was such so impactful in that sense that it, it feels like the second one if they don't do at least as well which it's not like other games like the 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 emotional impact of the first one was something that was exceptional and that's not easy to reproduce i think if you have a game that is mechanically um interesting or satisfying then you make a sequel and you can make that just as you know if you make it the same then it's going to be as compelling for people who like it the last of us was a good game mechanically it was enjoyable but that certainly wasn't it, its main strength so i think the 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 danger for the last of us part two is that it would remain a, a an okay a pretty good you know a decent plus enjoyable game mechanically but it doesn't manage to, rep- to reproduce the emotional impact and that because it's not as easy to do you have to sort of not capture lightning in a bottle quite, but have a stroke of genius creatively for the the, the story uh, and how to manipulate the emotions of your um, player. And yeah, again, that is, I think, less easy to do than to just reiterate a uh, mechanical expertise that you've developed in a a previous game in the franchise. Um, So we'll have to wait and see how that goes. Certainly the grisly nature of the world seems to have been emphasized um everyone reports it is gruesome and and impactful in that sense that you feel the despair of that world and the harshness of that world which might not be for everyone Uh, it's pushed to i don't know if 11 is the right term but it's pushed uh, to a level that might make some people uncomfortable which actually is going to be interesting to put in parallel with what's going to be happening with uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare coming out at the end of this month, October, so three months before The Last of Us Part 2. And both of them seem to be um, putting the realism of violence right in your face. So uh, we'll see how that is uh, handled in both those games. Um, So yeah, that's... Interesting on the games part. I thought there was uh, an uh, also interesting thing to look at for um, Sony's planning uh, over the next year or so, because of course we all expect the next generation of consoles to be announced and released in 2020 for both Sony and Microsoft. Uh, Sony is shooting basically its last or second to last big bullet for these, this this uh, generation. And the 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 last one will be Ghost of Tsushima. It that game might be a dual. Re- I mean, I don't know. I don't want to speculate for Ghost of uh, Tsushima, but it might release in the summer. It might release maybe late spring. Um, and we'll see what happens with the next generation console. I wouldn't be surprised if that next generation console launches with a remaster of Last of Us Part Two, or maybe. Uh, later, down the life cycle a few months later. But um, that is certainly the question that arises from this schedule they're into now. They don't have any big uh, exclusives left, except for, of course, Ghost of Tsushima. Uh, But that means they're done and they're going to move on, which also, of course, uh, is interesting because retro compatibility has been confirmed uh on i mean it was always going to be there for Microsoft but also for Sony and uh that means it's going to have a, a, an easier transition maybe than it has in the past. Uh last quick note about Sony's uh, the the state of play the games for October are MLB The Show 19 which you know whatever uh it's baseball uh those who like baseball will be happy. Sports Bowl is not my thing, so that's why I'm being harsh on it. But um, The Last of Us 1 Remastered is uh, available on PS Plus in October, which will be an awesome opportunity for all of those who haven't played it to do so. I would encourage, if you have PS Plus, even if you think you're not interested in that game, if you've never played it, um, download it and play through the introduction. I think it will give you an interesting um, view of the tone and the strengths of the game. Play through the introduction. It's about half an hour, I would say. Um, And I beg of you to do it because The Last of Us is a piece of gaming history and you owe it to yourself to have at least given it a try. All right. Oculus Connect 6, uh, the conference for Facebook, Oculus, and uh, a bunch of announcements there, some of them quite interesting. The main one is the news that the Oculus Quest, the autonomous headset uh, for Oculus, that came out a few months ago in May or April, uh, along with the Oculus Rift S, which is the improved version of the one that connects to your pc to function Um, so both came out at the same time same price same price so it was a very difficult choice for those who like vr well the oculus quest in a few weeks will be connectable to the pc so the autonomous version will be able to connect to the pc and um, use games from the PC, of course, with higher graphical fidelity than what you get when it's used autonomously because it uses its mobile CPU and GPU only. Um, The games are different. It's a different library, so you might have to buy games multiple times, but it basically makes the Oculus Quest a wonderful choice, if it works, if it works well. Uh, Hopefully it will, but the people who have tried it at the show say that there is... Very little to no lag, which is important, of course, but latency is very low. Um, and people have been using the the Quest and other devices wirelessly. So it is possible to do, um, although there it will go through the USB-C cable. So maybe there are other limitations there. But regardless, it seems to be working pretty well. And as I said, I think it makes the Oculus Quest the perfect device for VR. Um, you get the freedom of uh, untethered device when you want to. And when you want a little bit more power, then you get the uh, power of your gaming PC. Uh, I ended up ordering one a few days after that uh, announcement. I'm very excited to to get it. Um, regarding the, the, the quality of the screen which essentially is what matters when you connect it to the PC because that's the only thing that um, you you use from the headset um, the screen is essentially I'm not going to go into technical details but essentially the screen is um, really good for this generation. It's not the best, but it's pretty good. It's on par, a little bit different, but apparently on par with the Rift S screen. They're not exactly the same types of designs, so that changes a little bit. They're, the the, uh, the um, uh, Quest has an OLED screen, which is pentile, so the pixels have a little bit of a different shape. Um, but of course, it's much uh, higher... Quality than something like the PSVR, although um, the Quest has a lower refresh rate than both of those, but still usable. So, um, yeah, it's a fantastic update, and I hope that this... We're I think we're getting... What I was talking about in my uh, French tech show was I think we're getting there with VR. Even now, we're not there yet, but imagine a headset that is a third lighter and smaller... And a third better quality, and a third cheaper. Uh, Then we start getting into those two to three hundred dollar ranges, and it starts becoming uh, 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 not understandable, a justifiable purchase even for someone who is not a big VR fan. And then we're off to the races. Um, That being said, there are fun games and experience and experiences. I don't think there are quite killer apps and games and experiences for those headsets yet. So I'll report back when I have it and when I've tried both the autonomous version and the connected version um, in the next few weeks. But um, yeah, this is still very good news. And in 2020, they're going to enable hand tracking um, for the Quest also. So the Quest really is the focus for Facebook and deservedly so. I think if you get a version of the headset that is... um, focused on autonomy and you can also connect it, then no reason to um, do anything else. And I suspect the next version will be that. But the hand tracking is really interesting because we've gone from, um, and they said that in the conference, I think it makes a lot of sense. We've gone from a headset, the VR headset being a really complex proposition. You had the totems to track you, you had the Multiple cables and the, the the controllers, which were a little bit bigger or not necessarily adapted to now we have just the headset and the controllers and very soon just the headset and it tracks your hands. Of course, hand tracking is not going to be perfect for everything, uh, maybe even dedicated experiences, but... It means that VR is going farther and farther. And if you have a smaller headset, um, which, by the way, the cost thing, uh, if you don't need to include the controllers, I suspect that's going to cut the price by a significant amount as well. And so if the hand tracking works, and apparently it does with less than 10% impact on battery life. So if the hand tracking works... um, you you make it even easier and more natural. I think that would uh, be a, a yet another small incremental, I want to say boon, but it's not quite that big. It's an incremental um, betterment of the experience of, of VR. So out of all of the um, small advances that VR has had, this one feels like the the biggest one in the past five years, let's say. Not... Incredibly bigger, it's not, you know, all of a sudden it's the it's a different uh industry, but this brings it, I think, to a point where um it is much more likely than people will consider this, and still, we're not there, as I said at the beginning. Um, I think we still need you know a few years to be there but i have no doubt that in five years uh when we look where we were five years ago and if we look forward five years smaller headsets cheaper better quality i think that's going to be things are going to be possible things could happen now whether or not they will happen then depends on applications and gaming and I don't know that uh, Facebook's virtual world uh, called Horizon, which is going to be released fairly soon, uh, is going to be the killer app we're looking for. But I, it, if there is one, um, it's going to be something that can happen. I, I would say even now, a few years ago and even now, e- even with an incredible app, VR wouldn't happen for the, the, the large public, the, the general population. A few years from now, it could if there is a killer app, which that's still a big question mark. Um, all right, let's move on to the games I've been uh, playing. A bunch of them, I played a, a little bit of everything, not a, a huge amount. So for all of them, it's still first impressions. But um, it's it. I did uh, uh, play a few games. So the first one I want to talk about is Untitled Goose Game, which... Um, Yeah, that's not Unfinished Swan, or no, Untitled Goose Game, or some other animal analogy alliteration. Um, I'm saying... I'm talking about animals because I think I might be the black sheep here, or the dark swan. What? No. Uh, I think Untitled Goose Game is interesting but i saw the hype or the buzz rather not the hype the buzz around the game and i was expecting something more um i think the entire press core has been incredibly positive about that game and it's selling really well and the the, everyone has good things to say about it including me i think it's a fun interesting experience um I, I, for those who don't know, um, it's a indie game where you play a goose that is essentially being a jerk and it mixes elements of puzzle and stealth. And, um, you have to do things to disrupt the life of the inhabitants of this little town you're wobbling around in. Um, and the media has been very positive. I've heard only good things actually from everyone about this game. Um, It's relatively short. It's a cheap uh, game, 15 bucks, I think, on the Switch right now. Um, And for me, it's not... Again, it's not bad. It's it's even good. It's fine. And the goose itself is so fun to control. And you wobble around in a very humorous way. You honk at people. You honk, sorry. You honk at people and everything comes through in the uh, reactions of people and the way um, the inhabitants of the town react to the fact that there is this goose that's walking around and dragging their boots in the lake and going to them and looking at them and so they're startled and then you honk and they they react and they're like, "What's happening?" What is like they react like people would react if a, react in real life if a goose would come and do that, um, which is it's surprising that a goose like who would have thought that a, a humorous thing to do for a game would be to play a goose in a semi-realistic manner. But it is like the way, again, I've been saying wobbling for a few, um, for multiple times. The way it wobbles is fun. The way it spreads its wings is fun. The way it, it honks is fun. All of this is fun. Um, being a, a jerk, being an, an <laughs> a horrible uh, a living being to other people, is fun in a way that is uh, you don't feel guilty about it because you're a goose that's what geese do and you don't feel like it is like we were talking about the last of us 2 and call of duty earlier when you're being a jerk in those games it's actual violence that affects your psyche here you're being a jerk but really it's a goose so whatever you know and even if you do somewhat mean things it's still not too bad so that's a really fun aspect to it and i'm describing a lot of positive things here um but i still think it doesn't grow past that novelty factor for me um as i said there's like puzzle elements and stealth-ish elements um which are not incredible. If the game was anything other than a goose game, it would be entirely unnoticed. It, it would have no, um, garner no interest. And that's not to say that the interest is not deserved. I think the fact that it's about a goose <laughs> is completely valid and it makes, it enhances the game significantly. Um, But gameplay-wise and puzzle-wise and all of this, for for what I've seen, uh, which is, you know, a small part of a two-hour game, uh, so not a lot, it it doesn't make me want, oh my God, to continue. It doesn't make me feel I can't wait until I play that goose again. I played it for half an hour, had fun, and thought, oh, okay, well, that's the goose game. I'll play it on the plane next time I'm uh, traveling. Um, So... Yeah, I think again um black sheep, uh person, the ugly duckling, uh again other animal <laughs> um analogies, but it's yeah, it's the goose game. Uh I, pff, if you love it, more power to you. Uh very quickly I tried Noita, Noita, which is uh early access on Steam. I've heard very good things. It's a weird game. It looks, it's a bunch of simulated pixels, so it's essentially low-fidelity retro graphics, uh, pixel graphics, and it feels like a a, a hybrid between Dead Cells, it's impossible not to think of Dead Cells when you play it, and um, Minecraft, of all things. Um, You dive into caves that you explore you can get different weapons um the gravity is very important in that game you can hover and um climb that way because every pixel can be destroyed essentially the the 2d uh aspect of it you go through like in a pl- platformer almost but anytime you shoot something explosive and there are a lot of explosive stuff in this game the uh the the part that has been hit disappears uh it's exploded so you might have a kind of a little ledge and you shoot it and then there's a hole there and you can fall through it and go deeper in the level um that the minecraft aspect is not the crafting part it's the destroying the environment part and uh of course it's a lot more present in noita you don't have to hack at blocks with a a pickaxe for you know 15 times to destroy it um you just blow everything up and so you go deeper and deeper and then you get to a rest area kind of do the whole um uh roguelike thing and then you keep going and uh you get to another area that's the dead cells part of it the graphics are i thought a little bit subpar for me it doesn't look incredible gameplay wise it seems like it could be fun but it might be a little bit too demanding for my taste um it's very precise uh steam only it's basically you aim with the mouse for your little guy that you move with uh, wasd and um it's a little bit too precise a little bit too difficult i think for me difficult in the sense that it's demanding and I don't know that with all the games that we have uh, today, that's the one I want to be spending my time on. But that's only very early first impressions. It's an interesting game as well. Uh, and you might want to give it a try if my description uh, appealed to you. Link's Awakening was released last week. Um, well, I mean, it's a classic Zelda game. Very well put together. Charming, beautiful, beautiful. Um, ease of use uh, life uh, ease of life what's the term um life improvements god i can't remember that term <laughs> um i'm sure you will for me and you will let me know on uh, twitter um some things that weren't easy to do on the original game boy version that are now easier to uh, i think it's ease of life um, but anyway, it's a it's a classic Zelda, it's fun, it's beautiful, um, a little bit tight, a little bit rigid in its design. It, you can definitely feel that this is an old type of uh, game. Even in the classic Zelda 2D Zelda type of gameplay, this one is not from, you know, this year or two years ago. It's like, you get the item you go to the place you couldn't go to get through and then you need to get another item like it's it's there's very little meat on the bones of that game it's still very healthy <laughs> skeleton um but it's it's very little meat so if you like the context and and maybe story or whatever that kind of thing or adventure this feels a little bit more mechanical than uh, more recent games uh but if you're looking for a Zelda type adventure classic zelda type game um it's it's an excellent one and uh i absolutely do recommend it so yeah Link's, Link's awakening and finally i of course want to talk a little bit about destiny 2 the shadow keep expansion um it just it was just released what is it yesterday? What day is it? Uh, two days ago, I've had a uh, time to play a few hours, not a huge amount again. Um, played through a part of the campaign. I must be a third or half of the way through. Um, things might like in Every game I talk about, maybe down the line, things change. So take what I say with that as a grain of salt, uh, in your mind, but, um, it, it, So far, it feels to me like a minor expansion. Um, I have talked about Destiny every year when the new version of it came out. Um, Last year, what I said was that Forsaken was an expansion that I thought was worth playing through, even if you didn't really, if Destiny didn't catch you. Um, initially, because I thought the campaign was very well written, very compelling, and the single player part of it, Destiny has always been a game where the end game shines and you play it as a live service game, life game, um, uh, infinite game, however you want to call them. And, and that's where the fun of the game lied. And of course, you know, the, the fantastic feeling gunplay and shooting mechanics, um, But with Forsaken, I felt that as a single-player experience, it was worth, if you like looter shooters and maybe just shooters, because you wouldn't go after the loot if you only played the single-player experience, I thought in Forsaken it was worth it. It was well-written, fun, surprising sometimes, well-balanced, all of that. Here, it really feels like a standard um, Destiny single-player experience expansion like we've seen many many times before the writing is not great there are a few moments so far again things might change in the future uh, but in the future i mean in the rest of the campaign um a couple of moments where the feeling is eerie and the graphics do their job and you feel like you're going through something that is memorable um but those are not mind-blowing and they're few and far between um overall the the campaign is like oh look there's this person who found this problem there we should really go and take care of it and oh there's these things that we don't know what they are go shoot them so you go shoot them and then you come back and oh we should go shoot that thing now you know it's classic game story and destiny story which has never done this except for forsaken particularly well um even in you know destiny 2 when it first launched, a lot of people were saying, oh, finally, the story is good now. I disagreed. I thought the story was just not as bad as it was before, which wasn't a high bar to clear. So um, here we're kind of in that realm. It's fine. It's okay. Uh, but it it's not going to break any, uh, it's not going to get any uh, uh, Oscars, if you get my meaning. Um, so that's for the campaign part but of course with Shadowkeep there's a lot that changes in the game Um, mainly there's a free um, version of the game and by the way let me say this about the 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 financial structure of the game now Um, it is I completely understand why Bungie is doing this and I actually have no problem with the way they're doing it but I think it's worth mentioning that if Bungie was still under Activision Everything they're doing with this game would have been, would have created an uproar on YouTube and in the gamer circles because evil Activision um, and evil big gaming corporations. And I think it's interesting to note that we we have seen nothing of this here. What I'm talking about is, um, of course, there's a free to play version now, which is actually. Fairly um, uh, well furnished. There's a lot of game in that free, free-to-play version. Um, but you have the free-to-play version. Then you have multiple expansions you can buy um, if you want to, but still, uh, you, can, you can buy them. Um, so it's essentially Forsaken, which includes all of the Forsaken bits, and now Keep, which can include Keep itself. Or you can buy the one that is Shadowkeep plus the annual pass. Because the annual pass is an additional thing you can buy um, to, on top of Shadowkeep. So you have an expansion and then season passes um, that come on top of the expansion itself. And then you also have the online, the in-game store where you can buy spend real money um, with you know for cosmetic stuff which before you did get a bunch of cosmetic stuff for playing now that's not the case anymore if you want cosmetic stuff you have to go in and spend actual money um and in the season pass you in the first the the the, for this current season pass which actually you um get with uh shadow keep with the actual expansion the future ones you don't but um you, you in that season pass you get an exotic item, which is an exotic weapon, which is, you know, I'm sure some people would consider this pay to win. It's actually not really because for the way the game is structured. Um, But again, if it was under Activision, all of these things would have led to people being very unhappy about this. I, I think so. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, but since it's Bungie and they're independent and they're, yay, it's Bungie, they're the little guy. No, they're here to make money, just like any other comp- company. So I'm not saying it's good or bad. I think actually it's it's. I'm happy that Bungie is trying to monetize its uh, avid players because they're working a lot on the game. And as I've said multiple times over the past uh, few months... Destiny 2 has become an amazing game for those who like that uh, type of uh, gameplay. So, yes, I want them to do well. And I think, actually, when you look into detail, the the way it's structured is not that onerous, meaning it's not that bad um, on a monetization aspect. But, again, the gamer crowd is not too big on looking at details. And I think they would have, um, we would have, because... I'm a gamer as well. Um, we would have become a little bit more irate if we were looking at this coming from Activision. And there's not just irony. I'm not pointing out to say, oh, this is bad. Or I'm just pointing it out to say, we have to look at things objectively and not let the company or not company or indie developer or whatever dictate how we see uh, uh, something factual. So anyway, when... I rant about these kinds of things. Uh, I try to keep all of that in mind. Uh, But yeah, so beyond that, you have the the free-to-play experience, which is, I'm sure, a little bit confusing, but also gives you access to a lot of the game. Because the way they look at it now is everyone is in the game, uh, free-to-play. And if you want to play the end game is what matters. Sure, you can go through the campaign, the initial Destiny 2 campaign, and if you buy Forsaken, you can go through that campaign. And if you buy Shadowkeep, you can go through that campaign as well. But if you don't, um, what you probably need is the current season pass. And that will get you the current things that people are doing. Um, you can, for example, if you, even if you're playing the free-to-play version, you can go to the latest areas of the game currently shadow keep brings the moon as the latest area and um you can go there you can do a bunch of activities you can do the story part so you can talk to the npc that's going to be essentially your um contact for that part of the expansion um but you can do the content um the the common content you know the overworld activities and stuff like that so you can look at it you can see how it is and and what's there uh, and get a taste for it and um that's is a a fun and actually great way of doing it. I suspect new players will be uh, a little bit overwhelmed with all that's happening, but um, it's a little bit more RPG-ish, Uh, the game now it has more depth I think um, which may which means complexity that you don't necessarily want to deal with with item numbers and stuff like that but some people love that and I think I'm going to keep enjoying it I'm looking forward to playing more of it because uh, it's a fun game and remains a a fun game Um, I do want to mention as well that going back to the moon which was a uh, zone in destiny one and Again, it's another thing that makes me think this is a small expansion. Um, They recycled a bunch of content. They added a lot of new stuff as well, but there's no denying that creating uh, the moon out of an existing, you know, creating an area out of one that existed in Destiny 1, of course, it's a lot of work. You need to update it, all of that, but it's less work than creating something entirely new. Um, And that's fine. You know, it's a small expansion and that's not, they weren't, uh, uh, saying anything otherwise. Um, but going back there, I spent so many hours, so many hours patrolling the moon, looking for reagents and components and, uh, stuff like that. And I, I jumped in, it's been, I don't know, five years, maybe not quite, but a few years since I was on the moon in destiny. And I just, I knew exactly where I was in parts of it. There are new areas, but parts of it, it was like, Oh, and that's the broken MACLEF train tracks. And Oh, that's the little base where I would go and kill the fallen things for that patrol type, uh, <laughs> activity. And, and there's something magical about those games as a service that we live in. Of course, MMOs are a big part of that. Um, and and the places that we spend so much time in that we end up knowing them as if they were real. And certainly that brought uh, 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 not quite a tear, but a little bit of emotion to me when I uh, jumped back into the moon. Um, I'll, we'll talk about this, about the game, and, and how it actually feels a lot more next time, because I'll have more experience with it. And those things are um, games you need to spend a little bit of time with to evaluate them properly. So uh, next episode, um, I'm hoping to get someone who is another big Destiny enthusiast um, and hopefully we'll have a conversation about that on top of all the other things that will also be uh, worth discussing. Um. All right. Uh. More bits of news. The X Cloud, the Xbox One streaming service, uh, is going uh, for a public test in October. Uh, in a few days, couple of weeks, I can't remember when, but it's in the US, UK, and somewhere else. I can't remember. Uh. But it's not in France, and not for me. So uh, I'm excited, but uh, I can't try it myself. So it's happening, um, and by the way, Microsoft and Google have announced that uh, the Google Assistant is going to be coming to the Xbox One, um, which <laughs> I guess Microsoft is abandoning Alexa entirely, um, and that relates to something um, f- that we've we've seen from the next PlayStation. Um, probably, it's a patent that Sony has filed for um, the the something called the PlayStation Assist, which is an AI um, voice assistant, which, you know, we might think, we might have thought that we were done with voices in our devices when, again, Microsoft has sort of given up on a, on um, Cortana, it seems. Um, but the way it's described in the Sony thing is you talk to the assistant and you ask... Where's the nearest health pack? And it marks a, a thing on your map. Um, I think it makes sense. You know, I'm, I don't use voice assistance almost at all. A little bit here and there, but very rarely. But I think, I don't know that games will have this capability imp- implemented, but having that possibility to play with as a developer... I think it makes sense. And I think there could be some fun peripheral uses for um, if the assistant actually understands what you're saying, which is where we're getting. And especially with the next generation of consoles, um, it might be, you know, it might last six, seven years. Who knows where the assistants will be in that time frame? So I understand why Sony is thinking about including that um, in the, playstation system i think it actually does make sense to have someone you know if you can talk to your game and i know that is the promise of uh, the xbox one a while ago but the promise was definitely not realized i think now that we're seeing it potentially realized it could make sense to be able to use voice voice commands as another avenue for interacting with your um game and um it might end up being completely gimmicky. It, might, I don't want to say probably will, but it might. But cutting yourself off from that possibility even, I think might not be the right move. So I understand why Sony is doing it, to have that possibility. I'm curious about what Microsoft is thinking about in that area. But um, yeah, the, the other issue is, of course, um, if Sony is the only one, that has that capability run into the trouble that cross platform games of which there are many and most of them um will not develop the will add this as a tacked on capability and so i think games need to be thought about with that in mind if it has to be used if it can be used properly um so yeah there's some strong strengths and weaknesses there uh big news i thought uh playstation now is much much cheaper it's uh, 10 bucks a month now or 70 bucks is it um a year playstation now of course is the streaming service for uh, sony and that relates to the project x cloud of course going public this uh, month but um, streaming service by Sony, not the best performing one, but you can also install the games on your PS4 now If you uh, for the PS4 games that are available. Um, there are PS4, PS3, and PS2 games available on the service. And um, it's available in many different countries, uh, the US, Japan, EU, um, the UK, which is not part of the EU anymore, I suppose. Um, and the price is incredible. Now, of course... You don't get the day of release games that you do on the Xbox One um, Game Pass service, which is not streaming, but also a subscription. Um, But you get like three or four hundred games and they added some what they call marquee games or premium games. I can't remember. Not premium, because that implies you would pay a little bit more for it. Um, But there are a bunch of Bigger games that are included, which they usually didn't have in that service, but God of War 2018, uh, Grand Theft Auto V, Infamous Second Son, and Uncharted 4 are available for the next three months in that service. So they will rotate in and out those um, big games uh, from the service, which I think makes sense because Sony has so many exclusives and big big games that they still want to sell you, but it has enough to populate every three months a couple or, you know, two or three headliners for the service um, to get you to to try them while still making them commercially viable for sale. I think that's a very clever way of, uh, of doing it. But, um, you know, 10 bucks a month. Oh, and by the way, streaming... Of course you can use it on your console, but it's also available on your PC. So if you want to play those games, that's incredible. You want to play those games you don't even have a uh, PlayStation? You have a decent connection? Uh 10 bucks for a month, you can play one or all of those games and there are hundreds of them. Um incredible deal. We, you know, I'm I can't believe how amazing uh it, it, we get treated as gamers nowadays the the value we get for uh the money is unbelievable and i know as i said before i know gamers tend to get angry but honestly in the past couple of years we have uh, it's competition it's all competition and the competition is really healthy and we reap the benefits out of this um and of course the companies and even you know I know that people wonder about what it does to the value of games and to um, the, the developers and especially the indie de- developers. It's it's still a little bit early to know exactly what subscription models will do to um, indies and and business models in general, but it all seems like it's not going to be as negative as some people fear. And beyond that, as much as we worry and complain about these things. Gaming is doing fine. Um, the big companies make a lot of money. And the developers, how many times have you seen a story in the past couple of years of some indie g- developer that made a fantastic game that sold hundreds of, of thousands or millions of copies? Um, you know, we've seen it with, I don't even want, you know, Celeste, uh, Dead Cells, Dead uh, Cells dozens of ga- ma- dozens of developers that have made it big on the indie scene. And of course, it's hard to be an indie. That's, you know, part of the deal, kind of, and not everyone manages. And some just, you know, break even and manage to make a living. Some break big, uh, manage to make a lot of money. Um, but I don't think it's fair or accurate to say that developers... Are not uh, are in a worse position today than they were before, um, and that's not to obscure or hide the issues that there are in the gaming industry. I don't want to say that everything is is rosy. There are certainly you know crunch and and uh, even on the monet moni- monetization front, obviously there are issues, and I don't want to diminish that. But I guess again, it comes back to the um, gamer outrage culture. We tend to see a lot of things in in very stark terms, and I don't think that's fair. Um, and and especially for the question, which again is legitimate of what happens to developers in this context. Of course, you're going to find find developers, especially in the indie the indie space, that are not super happy because they didn't make it or because the conditions are harsh and that's true but there are also a lot not everyone can make it and there are a lot that do and i think the conditions of the market with the different avenues that indie developers have to monetize their work are much more favorable than they were before because When you get an exclusive on a service like the Epic Game Store, you get a bunch of money. When you get, um, you know, featured on one of those subscription services, you get a bunch of money. When you get on the Apple um, Arcade, you get a bunch of money that makes it easier for you to have a little bit of breathing room. Um, And that's all born out of competition, because they're all competing, and they're also making money at the same time. This is profits a small part of the profits that's funneling down to the developers including indie developers so anyway this is you know i'm not doing like i'm dumb and i'm not don't know much about the economy but i do know about gaming and i do think feel free to contradict me but i do think that with all of this gamers get incredible deals and i don't think that we're we're the the developers um are suffering more than they were before. There are dysfunctioning parts of the industry, and again, crunch and other aspects are certainly real and exist, but they would exist no matter what the, you know, whether or not we have subscription and uh, game streaming. You know, that's a, a problem that the industry has known for a long time that we need to fix, but it's independent from what's happening now with new business models. So anyway, Um Hey, one time when I was, uh, part of the angry gamer crowd, which actually didn't make in that much noise, but it was effective, um, was the issue of crossplay. I thought that Sony's refusal to, uh, to, uh, enable crossplay with the PlayStation 4 was, of course, they were doing it to protect their lead on the PlayStation 4, which they, <laughs> was very massive, um, but it was detrimental to the consumer and um it wasn't the best move from a you know consumer standpoint they relented and now they've confirmed that they have opened the floodgates and crossplay is available more widely than it was before we're seeing this more and more in different games um and that's great i'm very happy about it let them compete on other things but uh, at least we can uh, play with our friends in more and more games. And that's awesome. It's just a confirmation of th- something they had been cagey about, uh, but now it's uh, it's open. Uh, I think they were cagey. Maybe it's technical problems um, and making sure that they were ready for all of it on the technical uh, point of view. But also it might be because for the next generation, they want to make sure uh, everything is set because While they had the lead, as I talked about at the time, they had the lead, they didn't want to give up, uh, you know, make it easier to go to another uh, console or another vendor. But with the big reset button that a new generation is, if you have one console that says, well, here you can play with your friends wherever they are, and another one that says, no, 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 you can only play with people who have this console, well, when you have to make a purchasing decision that weighs on your purchasing decision. So I think, again, this is why they relented, but uh, it's still good to see. Uh, Sean Layden, who is the PlayStation Worldwide Studios boss, is leaving Sony. We don't know where he's going. I suspect this is... Uh, has to do with a pile of money. He has. He was at Sony for a while. He had been head of um, worldwide, well, worldwide studios for a couple of years, I think, maybe three. Um, he was one of the faces of Sony. Uh, everyone parted in good terms, but I'm very curious to see where he will go. I suspect within a couple of weeks, we'll have uh, a tweet to reference from him saying, hey, I'm so happy to be going to work at Stadia or something like that. Maybe he's going to go to EA to head their streaming efforts or who knows. Um, NPD numbers, that was an interesting one. Um, Matt uh, Piscatella, who is one of the uh, NPD people, has published a couple of um, lists, actually four of them, Uh, the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One uh, lifetime sales in dollar amount to date for PlayStation 4 and Xbox One on all games and on exclusive games. Um, And some of them include, uh, you know, digital numbers as well, but some uh, publishers don't take part in the digital number disclosure thing. So it's not all of the numbers, but it's still a, a significant amount. On the old games thing, the two lists, uh, Xbox and PlayStation 4, are relatively similar, when you don't only take the uh, exclusives into account. Um, and what's really interesting is the biggest one, no surprise, Grand Theft Auto Four uh, 5. But, what comes after... Um, Red Dead Redemption 2 on PlayStation 4. But after that, for both Sony and, and, um, and Microsoft, it's Call of Duty. Call of Duty, oh, like three of them are 3, 4, uh, 5 on PlayStation, 2, 3, 4 on Xbox. And I think we often think ah call of duty you know it's on the it's it's not what it was and no one's playing it anymore and and it's not just older games you know you might think oh well you know it's the games from 2015 they've had time to sell so much etc etc um black ops 4 in number is number four on playstation and number four on xbox as well um and three is the the next one on um uh, i mean is number three on Xbox, World War II is number two. It's a slightly different order on PlayStation, but they're in the top five on both. Three of them in the top five on both consoles. Um, and of course, on Xbox One, Red Dead Redemption 2 is number five. So it's essentially the same top five on both consoles. And three of them are, um, you know, Call of Duty games. Not just Activision games, Call of Duty games. Um, so yeah, they're doing well. Contrary to what we might want to believe. <laughs> um, oh, Advanced Warfare is in the top 10 as well, by the way, for both consoles and Infinite Warfare. So uh, five out of the... Um, uh, I think four for PlayStation 4 and five for Xbox One out of the top 10. Uh, other than that, it's... Uh, God of War is... And and Spider-Man is in PlayStation 4 for all games. And on Xbox One, you have uh, Destiny 2... Star Wars Battlefront and Battlefield 1, stuff like that. But let's go to the exclusives. Really interesting as well. Um, Unsurprisingly for Sony, you have Spider-Man as number one, God of War 2018, number two, and Horizon Zero Dawn at number three. And then you have um, Uncharted uh, 4, Bloodborne, Days Gone, Infamous Second Son, and then MLB The Show. Yes, that's popular. Um, On Xbox One, you have... Halo 5, Halo Master Chief Collection, Forza, Gears, Forza, Forza, Sea of Thieves, Forza, Forza, State of Decay 2. So a lot of Forza, clearly. But more than that, um, what's really interesting, I think, is on Xbox, you have sequels, ton of sequels, which is expected. Those are known quantities and people like them. But on on the PlayStation side's, side, um, a number of new IPs. I don't know if... Spider-Man can be consider- considered uh, a new IP. It, I think it could be. It still rests on a well-known franchise. Um, God of War, again, not quite a new IP, but certainly a departure from what it was. So a risk that paid off. Uh, but then you have Horizon Zero Dawn, number three, Bloodborne. Um, not risky per se, but it's still... I mean, yes, it kind of was risky. It was something different. Um, Days Gone we all thought it was meh, but still number six, uh, infam- infamous uh, Second Son is number seven. So it's really interesting to see that you have, um, a, a, if nothing else, many different uh, titles and franchises on the Sony side and essentially Halo and Forza on uh, the Xbox side. Um, sea of Thieves, which also we were thinking, eh, it's not, is that, isn't that great? Uh, turns out, It's making, uh, it it sold very well. Although, then you get into the issue of how is Game Pass factoring into this? I don't know. They don't say. Um, But yeah, I I guess I have no idea. Maybe they report a portion of it. But um, yeah, it's, I think what this shows is uh, Microsoft knew and was right to um, buy studios to get more exclusives because If you look at an entire generation and you see Halo and Forza and and Gears, which are games from the previous generation and nothing else, at least one or two, you know, there should be a couple of titles that are are meaningful, impactful for a generation that weren't there before. So um, anyway, beating a dead horse here. Or, you know what, even if they aren't, even if they were there before, that they, they, they would do something different so anyway let's not hate on the xbox um i'm just all in the new strategy of xbox which is do more new things um all right last uh very quick tidbits loot box changes in france and and uh in rocket league for everyone and CS:GO for france I have no idea why this is happening, especially specifically in France for CSGO. You're going to be able to scan the loot box before you buy buy it, so you know what's inside. Uh, there's no legislation that I know of specifically. There have been some conversations, but I think this might be a test they're, ma- they're doing in France because we've been maybe more vocal than others about it. Uh, but then it might be implemented more widely. We'll see. Um, I'm not sure if the loot box refreshes though. Maybe it refreshes every um, 24 hours or something and you can scan it before you decide to buy. But you scan it once if you don't want it. Uh, there there has been other systems like this um, to scan loot boxes, but I've always been skeptical of them because you scan it and you know what's in it. You know you want or you don't want it. But if you want to see what's in the next one, you still have to buy the, the initial one, right? It's not like you can cycle through them for free and then you buy the one you want, so it just delays the not knowing what's in the loot box because you know you don't want what's in this one. You buy it to get to the next one, um, or maybe if you can, if it refreshes, early, you know, often enough, then maybe it's still fair, quote unquote. But if it doesn't, if it's like I don't know, hopefully it's at least every 24 hours. But um, uh, and yeah, and and as. Mentioned before, Epic that bought uh, Psyonix is is getting rid of loot crates in uh, Rocket League. Um, So you can buy items individually. Um, Dr. Kawashima Brain Age is coming to the Switch. If you want to train your brain, you can. Mario Kart Tour has uh, been downloaded a lot on uh, mobile feedback isn't that great though i've seen a couple of people saying it was fun most people are not convinced and also there's this five bucks a month uh subscription which (laughs) came out at the same time as um apple arcade which is also five bucks a month but i don't know maybe some people really love mario kart on mobile it's possible uh minecraft earth is coming this october um it's early access But um, it will be coming to different countries in October. So if you're into the Minecraft version of Pokemon Go, a little bit more complex maybe, you can try that out. Um, Apex Legends Season 3 is starting with a new map. Yay, new maps. Um, It's always interesting to see what the um, uh, uh, Battle Royale market is doing. And uh, usually they have one map for the, the games. This has two. Um, Of course, PUBG also has multiple maps. But it's interesting to see that Apex is going with multiple maps for some variety. And um, yeah, so Apex is going strong still. Finally, Terminator is coming to Mortal Kombat 11. Uh, (laughs) You know, it's always a joy to see the fatalities for Mortal Kombat 11. In the trailer, there's one by the Terminator, which is really fun. I was wondering what they would do for him. And, uh, minor spoiler, I guess, but, the, <laughs> the fatality they show in the trailer is, the Terminator, of course, shoots the enemy, both knees, kneecaps, blown out. Then, he sort of teleports them through time with their, um, little lightning thunderbolt thing. But, only you know, the torso and, and uh, head and, and, and arms, so the legs are left in the present. But in the future, the character wakes up without their legs, surrounded, of course, by Terminators that execute it. It's, it's again, so inventive and gruesome and gross, but fun. Uh, Mortal Kombat 11 never change, I guess. And that's going to be it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, If you have something you want to add, don't hesitate to come to frenchspin.com and uh, let me know. If you want to talk to me more directly, you can go to Twitter or Facebook or Instagram at NotPatrick, but mainly Twitter. So check that out and uh, let me know what you thought about the show. And we will be back in a couple of weeks with uh, more discussions about the rooms. Talk to you then. Bye.